Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we're now in lesson 31 of the series, The Gospel According to Moses in the Book of Exodus. Now, you, you remember in lesson 30 that God actually calls the Egyptians the neighbors of the Hebrews. Now, we started delving into this. We're going to continue in this. If they're the neighbors of the Hebrews, you may remember a couple of laws in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall, take, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And in verse 34 of the same chapter, we read, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, the things that we saw in Lesson 30, and the things that we talked about as we continue, we're going to go to Yeshua. We're going to go to Jesus our Lord, and he does a parable. And we know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. To understand this parable, we need to understand these verses in Exodus, the verses in Exodus in Lesson 30, where we talk about the fact that, yes, indeed, the Egyptians are your neighbors. And on top of that, these two laws in Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall love the stranger as yourself, which means the stranger is your neighbor. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. I, I mean, some might say that the Jews hated the Samaritans more than they hated Jesus. Now, again, if you go to the website, www.lightofmenorah.org, menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H, all one word, lightofmenorah.org, and you find the picture for Lesson 31 here in Exodus, and you slide underneath the picture, you'll see a session description introduction with a lot more material. I've linked you to a chapter in my book where we talk about this conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And we talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. That chapter will help you immensely expand your ideas in terms of the meaning of the parable of the Good Samaritan and other things that we're about to talk about right now. Now, those of you listening by another app, maybe it's, you know, uh, Apple iTunes or it's, um, oh, I don't know, whatever app you're using to actually listen to the podcast. Uh, normally, your app, when you actually find the podcast, like this one, if you're listening to it, Normally there, it might say show more, or it might may, uh, say read more, or click here for more, or expand. And if you do that on your uh, podcast app that you're using, you should be able to find the links and the full description of the, of the material that I've provided after the picture. So that's another way of accessing it. Now... We know that the Samaritan himself ministered to the injured Jew. And 
they were still enemies. They probably still disliked each other. Jesus didn't say all of a sudden that the Samaritan had wonderful, friendly feelings toward the injured Jew. It doesn't say that. And we look upon love ourselves that way in the 21st century. For us in the 21st century, love has become feelings, emotions. Love, biblically, loving your enemy is not having good feelings towards your enemy. It's doing good to your enemy. Doing. It's about the actions and not about the feelings. And this is exactly what the Samaritan did. The Samaritans actually followed the same Torah. They had the same Bible as the Jews. And it was his actions against one he didn't even like. It was, it was an enemy. Matter of fact, we go to Dr. Joseph Hertz in his commentary on the Torah. And Dr. Joseph Hertz is a, an amazing Jewish scholar. And he has this commentary, and he has this commentary specifically on Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19.18, Dr. Hertz talks about the fact that from a rabbinic point of view, it forbids repaying evil with evil. So if a man finds two people who are in distress, he finds two people who are in trouble, and they both want to be saved and helped out in their distress, but one of them is your friend and one of them is an enemy, you should first assist your enemy in order to subdue your evil inclination. In other words... This is our enemy. We don't like him. We've got this sinful nature already. We'd say, that's our enemy. Forget about it. I'm going to go help my friend. And here, and here in Judaism, as it comes out of the Torah, the rabbi said, no, you're supposed to help your enemy first. Really, really quite amazing. So Leviticus 19.18 is the most fundamental Torah law in all of the Torah. This is according to Rabbi Akiva, who states this in about the end of the first century A.D., or right there at the beginning of the second century A.D. And from this, we get the golden rule. Now you'll remember this in Matthew 7.12, where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, and you'll know here is the fundamental rule or the key rule of all of the law and the prophets that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, this is not Christian. It actually has Jewish origin. And we can find aspects of what we would call the golden rule or texts similar to that in the book of Tobit, among the writings of Philo, the great Jewish philosopher, that was alive around Jesus' day, and also Josephus, but specifically Hillel, the great rabbi, who died 
when Jesus was a teenager. This is years before uh, Jesus actually made this statement, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Rabbi Hillel was commenting on Leviticus 19.18, and actually Leviticus 19.34. Remember, both of those are love your neighbor as yourself and love the stranger, the person that you don't know, the foreigner among you as yourself, therefore equating the fact that the stranger among you, the ger is the Hebrew word, is your neighbor. And Hillel states it, kind of in a negative way, what is hateful to you, do not do to others. And both of these taken together, Jesus' statement, do unto others as they would have them do unto you, or do unto others as you would want them to do to you. And then here's Rabbi Hillel saying, what is hateful to you, do not do to others. And they're both very, very similar. Now, I read, one of the reasons I bring this up, I just heard about the Platinum Rule. You can find this all over the internet if you wanted to Google Platinum Rule. And the Platinum Rule basically says, do unto others as they want to be treated. That's the Platinum Rule. Some say that this trumps the Golden Rule. And some say the Golden Rule is archaic, old, and not applicable anymore. Now this, to me, really shows clearly one's lack of Bible understanding. Because what we're going to see is the Platinum Rule seems to be a corollary of the Golden Rule. Comes out of the Golden Rule. First aspect, let's take a look at it. The Platinum Rule basically assumes that you know the other person. Because it says do unto others as they want to be treated, which means that you know the other person, you know how they want to be treated. Well, how many people, billions of people, do we not, we, we don't know? There are people we know, and there could be lots of people we know, but even those people we know, how well do we know them that they want to be treated in a certain way in a certain circumstance? We don't. Only God can do that. Only God knows what is going through the mind of another person, another person that we don't know and how they want to be treated. So that is one aspect that for us as human beings, if there's somebody we don't know, and there are many people we don't know, how do we figure out how they want to be treated? Another aspect of this is when we take a look at the New Testament and Jesus saying the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, Hillel says it in a different way about 15 years before Jesus, what's hateful to you do not do to another person. And again, we just said you may not know what they want. You may not know how they want to be treated. And so if we thus focus in on a stranger any stranger that we don't know, we could say, well, we don't want to treat them badly. We don't want to be treated badly. Uh, things that are done to us that we would hate, we don't want to do that to another person because most, if not all of us, 
want to be treated in a good way, want to be treated in a respectful way. And so indeed, as we take a look at the strangers, like Rabbi Hertz, when he made his commentary that we talked about earlier, where he said there are two people, there are two people in distress, two people that are in trouble. One of them happens to be your friend who you know, and you can see their condition that they're in, that they need help, so you have a pretty good idea of how they want to be treated. But the other one is an enemy. And if it's an enemy, you probably don't know them as well as you know your friend, but they seem to be in the same condition, the same need for help. They're in the same distress as your friend. And what did the rabbi say? help your enemy first because this will go against our sinful evil nature where we look upon ourselves first or our own selfish interest which means we'd probably help our friend first so that's a very interesting perspective second second aspect i wanted to talk about on the platinum rule a third aspect on the platinum rule is something amazing. The uh, Bible teachers at a website called tblfaithnews.com, T as in Tom, B as in boy, L as in life, tblfaithnews, all one word, dot com. TBL stands for the bottom line. They actually are talking about this platinum rule and the golden rule, and they say, <laughs> the platinum rule is definitely a corollary of the golden rule and it's actually taught in the New Testament Paul talks about it in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 and again I, I'm going to thank the Bible teachers at that website tblfaithfulness.com for giving us this information it's their idea and it's their thoughts and it's the things that they discovered. So in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 we read, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That... <laughs> That's the platinum rule, looking out for the interest of others, especially as we get to know them. Then in Romans 12, verses 9 through 10, Paul teaches, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Preference. It's deferring to the other person try and understand their needs try and understand their wants try and understand the way they want to be treated that's the platinum rule and it's right there right there in the new testament the uh, bible teachers at tblfaithnews.com summarized all of this really well and i i want to read their summary so you see, both rules are biblical. 
both rules, the golden rule and the platinum rule. And both are necessary if we are to live peaceably one with another. The question remains, how do you know which rule to use at any given time? The answer is fairly simple, though I warn you, it's not easy. And I have to say, the platinum rule and the golden rule are so intertwined together, it has everything to do with love. And actually, they get at this here in their summary. I'll continue with what they said. Get to know your loved one well enough that you'll know when they want to be treated the same way you want to be treated and when they prefer a different approach, then act accordingly. When all else fails, remind yourself, it's not about me. I just love that. Because indeed, when we take a look at the golden rule, we take a look at Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus 19.34, we take a look at the platinum rule, it really comes down to this. And that is, it's not about me. It's about loving the other. Doing the best we can, even if we don't know how they want to be treated. I had mentioned in Lesson 30 that there is another concept that I want to deal with. And that concept is, what's the name of the Pharaoh of the Exodus? And I said it had everything to do with Exodus chapter 11, verse 5, where it says, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. It so happens that a Pharaoh becomes a Pharaoh in normal cases because he is the crown prince. He's the firstborn of his father. And the firstborn of the father becomes the crown prince and becomes the next pharaoh. But the problem is, when we're reading Exodus, the pharaoh of the Exodus didn't die. So that means that the pharaoh of the Exodus was not the firstborn. Now, I urge you to go back and study Lesson 5 in this Exodus series, Parts 1 and Parts 2. I've linked you to those lessons at the website, like I've linked you with the other things as well. So go to the website, look underneath the picture for Lesson 31 in Exodus. You'll see the session description, and you'll see the links there for Lesson 5, Part 1 and Part 2. They have everything to do with the dating of the, of the Exodus. And it's all based upon real, credible archaeology and not my opinion. And again, once I provided, and again, once again, I provide many links and added resources in the session description just below the session picture. And like I said, if you're accessing this podcast using other uh, apps, Look for words when you're using your other apps for something like show more or read more to actually expand and actually access the session description so you can get at those links. Now in session 5 and parts 1 and 2, it is argued that the clear biblical dating of the Exodus is 1446 BC. If that's the case, the Pharaoh then was Amenhotep II. I want to also bring up that I'm going to 
provide you with links to another amazing scholar. Brand new videos. I, matter of fact, I have just seen them, though I met this archaeologist and this Egyptologist several years ago when I attended the conference uh, of the organization I belong to, the Near, uh, the Near East Archaeological Society. So at the website, I link you to his videos. He's a great Christian scholar. His name is Dr. Doug Petrovich. And he has two amazing videos to show more and compelling information that indeed Amenhotep II was the pharaoh of the Exodus. Now again, like I said, only the firstborn son of a pharaoh can become the next pharaoh. If that's the case, Amenhotep II as pharaoh should have died, but he didn't. And the reason being is, and I'm going to be adding this to uh, Dr. Petrovich's information that he has in his videos, um, Dr. Bryant Wood's information at the Associates for Biblical Research. Because when we take a look at Amenhotep II, we find out that he had an older brother, Amenemhat, the firstborn of Thutmosis III. Amenemhat died, and so that the next pharaoh had to be the next son, which was Amenhotep II. This is amazing. God's word is shown again to be absolutely 100% without contradiction. Pharaoh didn't die because Pharaoh wasn't the firstborn. But there's more. One of my teachers in one of my first classes in my graduate studies to attain my advanced degrees in Bible history was Dr. Charles Ailing from Northwestern University right here in uh, St. Paul. He's actually a proven, credible Egyptologist, archaeologist, and Christian historian. And his book called Egypt and Bible History, which is still available today, he shows that Amenhotep II had a son, Webensanu. Webensanu likely died young, maybe even perhaps around the age of 10. And what was strange was Webensano was buried in the tomb of his father, Amenhotep II. And we know for a fact that Webensano died before his father. This perhaps implies that Webensano was the crown prince, that he was the firstborn son. Now, Webensano's half-brother, Thutmose IV, became the next pharaoh after Amenhotep II. He's the next pharaoh. The firstborn of Amenhotep II is dead. And Thutmose is next in line to become the next pharaoh. This is just amazing. This is real history. And again, this real history shows the accuracy of Exodus chapter 11, verse 5, that all the firstborn would die in Egypt. But Pharaoh wasn't the firstborn. He lived. And Thutmose IV, who was the next Pharaoh in line, was not the firstborn of Pharaoh. And so I have to say that I'm in awe of Yahweh Elohinu, of Adonai Elohinu, the Lord our God. I'm in awe of his Torah, 
the books of Moses. And I know that he wants us to study. Study the Bible as if we were the ones there when it first happened, putting the Bible in its historical context. I have supplied you guys with a lot of links and a lot of resources above and beyond the things that I have presented in these Torah lessons. There is so much more. And so I wanted to make sure that you had access to Associates for Biblical Research, Dr. Petrovich's videos, once you get connected with him and his books and so on, Dr. Charles Ayling, Dr. Bryant Wood, we are able to put the Bible in its historical context. And our understanding is expanded. Our understanding is enriched. Our understanding is enhanced. And I think we'd all agree that indeed his word, his teaching, his Torah, is higher than high, deeper than deep, and wider than wide. So I will see you again in the next lesson, Lesson 32. And until then, Shalom. Shalom.